Hi, I'm the Strategist Cowboy. Today I am back to review yet another ale from Maine. A wheat beer this time. I'm going to put it against an ale from London, England. The two beers are in review order. Alagash White, VS Foundation Best Bitter. Our first contestant this week is the wheat beer assortment Alagash White from the Alagash Brewing Company in Portland, Maine on the East Coast, USA. I guess they brew a lot of beer in Portland. Or on the website, they state, to say the important part first, if you have a bottle or can of Allagash White, we recommend that you flip it upside down, gently swirl for about 10 seconds, and then flip it back over before enjoying it. This quick process is what we call rousing the beer's yeast and it ensures you have the best possible experience with your Allagash White. Okay, I will do that. The Allagash White beer assortment contains water, barley malt, wheat malt, oats, hops, and yeast. It is made Belgian style, according to the brewery. Well, it is a wheat beer, the production date on this particular beer is end of February 2022. I purchased this beer in mid-July 2022. The beer has been standing in my cooler since I purchased it. The can contains 35.5 centiliters, i.e. 12 liquid ounces. The can is yellow, brown, and gray, and pictures a river stream in the woods and rocky landscape. This beer cost me 26 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 30 cents. That is about 77 cents per four ounces of beer. This beer has got a low level ABV for an ale. The preferred serving temperature for Allagash White is, according to Systembolaget, 8 to 10 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 46 to 50 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures. The Allagash White beer assortment has got a 5.2% ABV. 5.2% ABV. How about the experience then?
Well, actually, for a wheat beer, it's not that low ABV level as I may have implied here. But uh, ah, yeasty, good aroma. I forgot to swirl it upside down. Okay, too bad, too bad. I swirl it now for 10 seconds. Well, it'll, it'll be what it'll be. It's got a three fingers tall head. It's very clear yellow it's almost like it was a soda or water in the clearness of it this beer but still my fingers are not very they're a little bit blurry in, uh, behind the glass as i see as i look through the glass and it's got a good aroma as i said Yes, the first impression is I like this beer. Wheat beers have um, grown on me. I, I really have started to like wheat beers. My first impression is this is a good beer. It's not very rich. And it's not thick because it's a wheat beer, but it's supposed to be, I guess, this is very Since it's very thin in its color, maybe it's natural that it's not so rich or, or thick. Thick is the word. Is it bread-like? Yes, I would say so. Wheat bread, white bread wheat bread uh, it's yeasty certainly it is and it's uh, malty uh, taste on my palate Yeasty, yeasty. It's not very sweet. But not that dry either. 
bitterness or happiness no not very no no i wouldn't say um it's not candy like it's more uh, it's absolutely more dry than sweet uh, i think but it's got a, a it's a balanced uh, mix there Let me look at the can. Uh, it says it's got uh, coriander, curacao, and orange peels in it. Maybe orange peels, but uh, the coriander I can't taste. yeah and curacao yeah perhaps i i'm not very familiar with curacao i've tried it a few times but uh, in uh, drinks for example but uh, okay let's go for that spices uh, I don't sense any spices. Perhaps there are, but they're not strong. Hmm. Carbonation level. I. I would wouldn't say it's very high yet. And it's not cream at all. It's a little bit uh, um, thin to say, to say uh, so to say. Uh, it's not acidic. And there are no aberrations. Maybe apart from the curacao, curacao, cur what's, it, what's it called? Curacao. Curacao, I don't know. And it's certainly not dark roasted. <laughs> uh, I don't think it's very filtered, but uh, I don't know. Should a uh, wheat beer be wheat beer be filtered? I'm not sure. Uh, it's um, like all uh, or most wheat beers it's uh, a little bit straw like hmm uh, I wouldn't put anything more into this beer since uh, I don't like to 
play with superlatives just for fun i i need to uh, give the flavors that's in the beers to the listener i don't want to elaborate I could say anything many uh, connoisseurs do. They say anything. Oh, this is raisin and vanilla and a little bit of raspberry. And... But uh, you cannot really do that in beers, with beers, I think. What about grading then? Well, it's it's certainly worth seven devils out of ten possible. Maybe as a wheat bear, even more. I don't know actually, but I, I I I better stay conservative and grade it seven devils out of ten possible. It's a good grading. It's not the highest, but uh, it, it's just because it's it's. Uh, but most wheat bears are a bit thin in their taste, so to speak. Not so thick. For every wheat beard is a little bit thin, so maybe it's unfair. Excuse me. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should grade it on eight tables out of ten possible. Excuse me. So it's got some uh, carbonation level. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should. It's not very distinctive and, and it doesn't give a mark on the world, but it's a good wheat pair. So uh, I think I'll, I'll grade it eight devils out of 10 possible after all. Yeah, I, I think I will. Okay, let's move on to our next contestant. Our second contestant for this week is the Foundation Best Bitter Beer Assortment, brewed by East London Brewery in the city of London, England. The ingredients in the Foundation Best Bitter Beer Assortment are actually a little bit hazy, pun intended. But I know that there is water and barley malt and hops in it, at least, which are patched together from different sources. And there would most certainly be yeast in it, too. I can only find limited technical info on this beer on the bottle or the brewery's website. 
only that it has got a mix of New, Eng New Zealand and English hops in it, and that it contains barley malt. The brewery says that this beer is vegan friendly, so no animalia should be in it. Many times beers have rest of animalia resin residuals in it. The expiration date on this particular beer is not easy to find. It should be on the bottleneck, but black text on a brown bottle is not easy to discern. I purchased it in mid-July 2022. It has been standing in my cooler since then. At present date, it is late October 2022. The Foundation Best Bitter Beer Assortment comes in a size 50 centiliters, i.e. 17 liquid ounces bottle. The bottle's shape looks sturdy. The one folded bottle label is orange and gray with stacked furniture on it. Yes, you heard me correct. The Foundation Best Bitter Beer Assortment cost me 29 Swedish kronor, i.e. 2 US dollars and 56 cents in June 2022. That is 93 cents per four ounces of beer. That is not cheap, but you get what you pay for, I guess. Systembraget says that the preferred serving temperature on this beer is 10 to 12 degrees Celsius, i.e. about 50 to 54 degrees Fahrenheit. The brewery says nothing about preferred serving temperatures. The Foundation Best Bitter Beer Assortment has got a mere 4.2% ABV. 4.2% ABV. How about the experience then? Not a very strong aroma. No. Well, not a bad aroma. The color is amber-like. It's... Uh, if it is a hazy beer, it's kind of clear, not very, but it's it's a little bit. I can see my fingers through the glass. Okay, first impression. Interesting. Is my first impression.
it's kind of rich and flavory for a what was it 4.2% uh, 4.2% ABV beer It's not very bread-like, I say. Maybe, perhaps, uh, what bread? Not very yeasty. Not very yeasty. It's. Uh, Kind of malty. And the taste of my palate is uh, cane sugar-like taste, uh, or we call it farine sugar, farine sugar, but uh, It's a, a little bit sugary, like uh, some uh, dark sugar. Cocoa, chocolate, like uh, uh, um, uh, maybe coffee, like. Yeah, coffee, like. Even though it's um, farine sugar or cane sugar like, I'd say that it's not that sweet. It's uh, one moment. A little bit to the bitter end, and it's uh, kind of hoppy. It's not exactly, I don't think it's candy-like. Let me look at uh, what it says. Uh, yes, I agree with that. It's crisp. Mm, there's not much about it. Uh, Didn't have a large head, I forgot to, to say, but one finger tall, barely.
I'm, I'm thinking about if, if it's fruity or not. Maybe, maybe, yeah, lemon fruity to some degree. And it's uh, got some spices in it, peppery spices. The undertone is a little bit spicy. And the carbonation level, I don't know yet. It's not creamy. It's not acidic and there are no aberrations. It's a little bit dark roasted. But it's not oily. And it's filtered. But it's... Uh, yeah, coffee light. Okay, uh, maybe it's... Uh, Perhaps, uh, no, I, I don't want to put too, too much into it. Uh, no, that's about it. Okay, what about grading then? This is... Uh, Oh, it's difficult. Uh, I drew this beer. <sighs> okay, I, I grade this beer for what it is. It's a dark beer, so seven devils out of ten possible uh, yeah i have to grade seven devils out of ten possible okay absolutely don't drink and operate heavy machines military or civilian drink responsibly or not at all don't drink at all if you're underage or pregnant. This week's lesson continues on on electronic warfare. I call it frequency hopping. <laughs>
direct sequence and encryption. During the First World War, it was often necessary at the front to send reports to the staff about conditions at the front by foot, on horseback, with messenger dogs, or by bicycle or motorbike if you had access to safe roads. They certainly had access to aerial reconnaissance slash photography, but these operations could take 10 hours or more, including the image development and the work by the photo interpretation department at the airfield. Radio transmitting was broadband, one-way communication with unwieldy equipment that requires large antennas and could not be used in the trenches. Between the trenches, you could lay out cable and connect several stations in series. And in this way, you could achieve wired contact with the staff. These early communications with messengers and also wire laying meant that one had to maintain a chain-like front line in width and also a defense in depth. When it was calm, you could use messenger pigeons, but only in one direction, backwards. Then you had to transport them by land to the front again and hope that it worked a second time. But the messages then had to be extremely short and the use of ordinary language could be devastating, even if you used stenography, unless you, you just sent coordinates and moment in time with a few words in between for artillery units to make sense of it. Abbreviations would have been useful, e.g. corresponding to an A for artillery, an F for flank, a BR for brigade, a BA for battalion, a KOM for company, an L for logistics, an R for enemy movement, a C for concentration of enemy forces, followed by coordinate and time. There was no need to make it any more complicated than this. As soon as you mix your own units into the equation, the information becomes too uncertain and likely to be misinter misinterpreted by the artillery. The information would have been interpreted by liaison officers at headquarters. The greatest use of messenger pigeons in World War I, despite the limited amount of transferable information, came from spies trapped in enemy countries, but who could use multiple messenger pigeons to get a stenographed message across. They quite soon understood that one-way radio communication was preferable to, but not from, the agents in foreign countries. The agents could not be revealed by radio interception if they didn't transmit any signals. It also required very compromising equipment to be able to transmit. During the Second World War, it was not necessary for the front line to be as tight and inflexibly static as during the First World War, 
And this was partly due, due to, among other things, the mobile communication radio, but maybe also to the invention of airborne units. In World War II, the use of messenger pigeons in, in a direction from beyond the main front line could actually be greater as various reconnaissance forces appeared more infiltrated, i.e. deep into enemy country. In the case of the runners, cyclists, messenger dogs, mounted ordnance and motorcycle ordnance, the routes between headquarters and the front line or between unit and unit must be clear of enemy activity. The radio had its limitations in World War II in that it was easy to track it and you risked revealing your location and perhaps also your intentions when you transmitted. The Germans didn't have a man portable radio during the entirety of World War II, but in this war, a radio operator was included in every German tank. In principle, a device transmitting messages could be surrounded or simply obliterated with grenades. But in practice, the Germans' opponents did not have such an elaborate signals intelligence doctrine, perhaps because the Germans still had a good radio discipline. Still, during the First World War, orderlies often had to in order to maintain contact with headquarters and adjacent units along the front line, run by foot or travel by motorcycle to communicate important reports about the enemy and changes regarding the situation. Company radio communication today should be encrypted and frequency hopping over radio on the ultra shortwave band if necessary, linked via a repeater truck or a retracted UAV or aerostat. And it makes the need for a tightly connected front lines superfluous for the reason that one can fight infiltrated and frequently with a 360 degree field of observation. Using the op open brigade channel entails greater risks. The use of frequency hopping requires that you first can synchronize transmission and reception between sender and receiver automatically and that you always transmit on a pre-given frequency from the start of the message and automatically frequency hop from it according to a pre-given pattern. Despite doing this, it can happen that one's position is tracked. Simultaneously with sending a frequency hopping message, you can encrypt the message with speech cryptography or DART, and thus with great probability prevent the enemy's signal detectors from being able to intercept, listen in on, and decrypt the text. You can change the initial frequency station and the hopping code automatically after each sent message. But it can happen that subnets appear during multi-way communication with several dispersed actors located in the periphery of connected units. A subnet consists of a number of radio stations that have synchronized their clock and PRN code with each other 
but not with other stations. It occurs when some radio stations are not reached by the others at the moment of synchronization because of the Earth's curvature or radio limiting factors. According to what a student named Alexander Andrian at the Defense University in Sweden wrote in an essay at sea level, by a combination of the two band spreading techniques, direct sequence and frequency hopping, you can establish a hard to detect and hard to disrupt system. Being able to track radio signals and radio sources is an ability that we Swedes must prioritize with specialized units. Enemy triangulation is not a new concept. Special units, FMTM, Försvarsmaktens Telenet och Marktelefonband, have interception of radio traffic, signals in the identification, signals interpretation, decryption, analysis and processing of messages and telewarfare as their main task. Our ground units, such as combat vehicles and certain specialized scouts with reconnaissance and support duties, should have individual DECM slash ECM capability. The British defense industry company Broke Manor Research Limited has developed a portable ECM device. It is called the Resolve Electronic Warfare Manpack. You can imagine, e.g., that the RBS 70 groups have an operator with such a manpack. Thank you and see you later, alligator, at a wild crocodile. Mm -hmm.